0: So there's something about really showing up with who we are and revealing ourselves and presenting ourselves to the world and and say, look at me in my fullness with with my strengths and my weaknesses and my, my leadership and my hurt, and let us all be together in the room at the same time, where the first phase of that is fear, and I think immediately after that is love because then we, then we connect. You know, then we put our arms around each other and say, yeah, I was scared too. I felt weird too. My goodness, we're all the same, aren't we?
1: There is something so beautiful about this picture of humanity. We are so much more alike than we think that we are. But we don't discover that until we fully show up to our peers, our coworkers, our family, and to the world. And guys, this is just scratching the surface of what we dig into this week on the Story Podcast. While Story invites us to ask powerful questions, your life and your story are shaped by the questions you ask. Where is your curiosity pointing? What is the story that you ache to tell? The only way to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. To be a writer, we have to sit down and we have to do the work, and we don't get up until it's finished. Your greatest
0: work may not be seen by millions of people. Keep making anyway. Rise up, artists. Your canvas is the consciousness of this generation. The only hope we have are the stories we tell, stories not bound by what is possible. We are proud to be storytellers.
1: My friend and storytelling genius, David Hutchins, recently stopped by the story headquarters for an interview.
0: I help leaders, senior leaders in big companies all around the world reconnect with their voice of humanity.
1: If you don't know who David Hutchins is, he's a speaker and story consultant who works with organizations to bring their stories to life through various frameworks that he teaches all over the world. I I wanted to learn why he started doing this kind of work. That's rich and deep.
0: Yeah, man.
1: Reconnect with their voice of humanity. Does that mean that in general, we live in a world where humanity is losing their voice and therefore you're trying to help them reclaim it? Is that a safe Um, assumption?
0: It's not that, that leaders have, have lost their voice. I, I think that they checked it at the door or it went to sleep somewhere along the way. I just came back from Germany. I was in Germany last week. This week I was, with, uh, um, I was in Chicago in both cases with a consulting firm. It's, the, it's the, one of the biggest consulting firms in the world. And uh, this week I was helping their leaders because they're about to go in to pitch a piece of work to a company that will be Probably a two billion dollar piece of business. Wow! And so you know, it's all hands on deck. They've been working for days on, you know, their PowerPoint presentation (laughs) and um, their message strategy and what they're going to say. And these are really, really smart guys. I mean, they're inventing the future of artificial intelligence. And I mean, it's a room full of geniuses. Wow! And their their PowerPoint sucked, first of all. Um, I mean, it was loaded with with data and boxes and arrows pointing to, to other boxes. And the thing I said to them that they intuitively believed is, you're not going to win this piece of business on your solution. You're going to win this business on inspiration and belief. Can you go to this client and make them believe? And the reason I can say this confidently is, I mean, what I've been hearing in this consulting firm all around the world is, they're, they're going into to clients and customers who are increasingly saying, listen, we, we already know you're smart, and we already know what your solutions are, and your, your competitors have a lot of the same solutions as you. What we want to know is, what's special about you? What do you believe in? What do you care about? And this is a multi-billion dollar consulting firm, and the conversation is changing it's freaking them all out. They don't know how to have this (laughs) conversation. They're saying we've always sold our solutions, right? We've always sold the fact that we're smart. Now this new conversation says it doesn't matter what our solutions are. We have to tell you what we believe. How do we even have that conversation? And so it's funny, this is my job now is going in and helping them find their, their voice. And a lot of it is story. I mean, we talk about story a lot. So I'm helping leaders tell stories so that they can connect with their teams, with their markets, with their customers. Crazy job, right? It's so yeah. funny
1: that this is a job. I know, right? Yeah. Well, and what's interesting is you have to convince them that they're storytellers, at least in my experience. Um, I mean, there have even been people sitting exactly in that chair that you're sitting in who write songs for a living. Yeah. And then when I say, like, you know, how did you become a storyteller? And they go, oh, well, I'm, I'm not really a storyteller. I'm a musician. And in their mind, when I... What they're thinking is like, I don't write songs like Johnny Cash, where every song is literally telling a story. Right. Um, a, that doesn't mean a that they aren't. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean oh. they aren't a storyteller, right? Absolutely. So, what process do you take these leaders through um, to help them understand that that's what they're doing and who they are? And those
0: songwriters who sit here and say they're not storytellers, as well as the leader, leaders that I work with, I guarantee you that when they go home. They sit down to the dinner table with their partners and their kids, and they say, "So, what did you do today?" They're going to start telling stories. They're going to say, "Well, I, I met with this guy Harris, this really fascinating musician and uh, magician, and and recorded a." They'll start telling stories. I mean, we default to narrative language. Story is the is your operating system for making sense of the world. So, it's not about performance or about becoming a screenwriter. It's tapping into this this gift that you already have for making sense of the world and saying, you know what? I can bring that into the organization. This thing that I already do, uh, this most human capability that I already have, maybe that belongs in my leadership after all. So I find that getting people to make the shift really isn't that hard. It's almost giving them permission Mm -hmm. to to switch to this different kind of communication. Because the people I work with Are paid a lot of money to be to be smart you know and they have this need to show that they're smart and have all the right answers in the room and to switch to narrative communication to tell stories feels somehow soft or emotional or something and so they don't feel like they have permission to do that so yesterday I was with this consulting firm where we're working on this this billion-dollar bid and one of the leaders uh, I took him into a side room for some one-on-one coaching because he just wasn't getting it. He was so stuck in the data. Again, he's a genius. He, I, I didn't even understand the data, I, <laughs> the stuff he was saying. I, I, I can't follow him, right? <laughs> so it's like, all right, let's go in the side room and let's talk about your story. And so he started telling me this complex case study of, of um, you know, new applications of artificial intelligence in emerging healthcare market markets. And I was nodding as best as I could. Yeah, okay, I, I think I s- understand what you're saying. And then I s- said. So in in all that experience you just shared with me, that specific case study, what is a part where you were proud of your team? And he said, hmm. And then I saw his, his whole face changed. And he started smiling. And he said, actually, there was one part of the project where my team came up with something that was really innovative that I had never quite seen before. And he started telling me, this really beautiful human drama of how his team came together and did something new. And now he's smiling for the first time. You know, I I was starting to wonder if he had emotions. And now it's like faces lit up and he's alive, talking about people on his team, doing great things. And after he told the story, we were both quiet for a second, and I didn't even need to say anything. He said, that was it, wasn't it? It's like, do that, do that. Yeah because it was electrifying.
1: The issue with the guy David was talking to there is the same issue a lot of us have. This guy was already telling a story. He just wasn't telling a very good one. It was data and numbers instead of emotion and characters, like if The Matrix had spent the whole time explaining how computers work. David's job is to get people to be deliberate about the stories they tell so they can choose the best possible one, the most inspiring possible one. So then let's get practical then. let us I don't know if you have like the, the 12-step program of here's how to do that. Um, when you're, you're obviously working with a lot of amazing companies and people around the world, when you're sitting down with a leader and, or if you have a chance to give a talk of some kind, what are some of the steps that you walk them through that listeners mm-hmm. to this show can hopefully take some practical Okay. Well, from.
0: What I don't start with that everybody expects me to start with is how to tell a story. You know, everybody expects to talk about, you know, the, the protagonist and the conflict and the tension and the resolution and the outcome. And, and, and those are all great things to talk about. I actually do bring that in after I've spent some time with people. Sure. Um, but I don't like to start with story construction, I like to start with story selection which story, which story should you be telling? So, you know, it, it depends on the context. You know, I, I, I have the, the 90 minute keynote speech and I've got the one day program and the two day program and then sure. consulting intervention and all that. Uh, but very often we'll start with just tapping into your own capability to tell stories. I put people in little groups and tell a story to each other right now. You know, and, and people always freak out a little bit for a moment. And then once they get going, it, it's almost impossible to stop them. You know, I have to like ring a bell to get everybody's attention. Hey, you know, everybody, look at
1: me, look at me. And they, they won't stop to keep talking to each they other. They realize it's something they can already do. They already
0: have it. Yeah. They already have it. The thing that's interesting is since I do this program uh, in Europe a lot with uh, French audiences and Dutch and German audiences, Um it's a little bit of a different experience there because for some European cultures, especially French and German, you know, they're much more stoic. And so the idea of being in an organization to, to be a leader in, in, in business and like reveal yourself emotionally yeah. feels more threatening there. And so we have to talk about this. You know, after, I'll say after you told stories to one another, did you feel vulnerable? And everybody's like, oh my gosh, yes. We. We are not used to this in our organizations. Uh And the conversation we'll have is, well, should you be doing this? And it's almost unanimous. It's changing. The conversation is changing. It's changing because of millennials. It's changing because of our partners and our customers. They are all demanding that we show up with more of ourselves in a more human way. American leaders struggle with that as well. But European leaders really struggle with that. So a yeah. lot of it is, is, and
1: even some Asian companies, you know, that yeah. whole idea of saving face is pushes hard against the idea of being vulnerable and showing feeling and really humanity at yeah. the end of the day, just showing humanity.
0: And especially with with Asian audiences, because there's such a, a strong sense of hierarchy and position in organizations, you know, s- storytelling is is uh, equalizing and now you get to tell a story to your boss and your boss gets to tell a story to you and we're equally vulnerable together, that's a little bit tough for some Asian cultures.
1: So would you say to a team of people who need to embrace the idea of becoming storytellers and to go back to where we started to reclaim their voice of humanity, sometimes for some of these guys it's as simple as just doing an off-site day and telling stories to each other?
0: That's really what it is, yeah.
1: <laughs> and what does that say about us that – that just getting in a room and telling each other stories can be that transformative to our work mm-hmm. because they're probably not telling work stories. They'll probably be like, yeah, this one time when my kid was four, he blah, 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 you know, and yet that's transforming their work. So what is it that makes stories so universal that they have that kind of power?
0: That almost feels like one of those questions that I want to just let hang in the air and, and let your <laughs> listeners think about what we is it? We pause
1: and turn on some meditative music and just let them process it. <laughs> that,
0: that's the big question. What, what is it about stories? What, what is happening when we do this? And then why is it why is it hard? I actually was part of a storytelling event uh, just uh, about a week ago, mm-hmm. and, and our mutual friend C J Cassiata, who I hope is listening to this, he was one of the storytellers. He's awesome there as well. I love that guy. I love that guy. And the thing that was funny was, you know, I got up and told my story, and you know, afterwards I I felt vulnerable. I mean, I do this for a living, right? I mean, this, I'm, I'm talking about stories all the time. This sure. is this is my world, and now in front of an audience, telling a, a personal story in the car on the way home, I was like filled with self doubt. I was like, um, wow, I, w- I wonder if I revealed too much. I wonder if they think I'm a goof. Because, you know, I, there's a part where I told said something that I thought was funny and nobody laughed at the funny part, right? And I'm like, oh, that was dumb. I shouldn't have done it. said the, the funny thing. It's, but, so I'm having this, like, conversation with myself. And I actually reached out to all the other storytellers and, and I said, I had a lot of self-doubt in the car on the way home. And everybody emailed back and said, oh, my gosh, I did too. That was so weird. I think we all need to get together and talk about this. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So the – There's something about really showing up with who we are and revealing ourselves and presenting ourselves to the world and and say, look at me in my fullness with with my strengths and my weaknesses and my, my leadership and my hurt, and let us all be together in the room at the same time, where the first phase of that is fear, and I think immediately after that is love, because... Then we, then we connect. You know, then we put our arms around each other and say, yeah, I was scared too. I felt weird too. Oh, my goodness, we're all the same, aren't we?
1: Hmm. So data and information does not show humanity in the way that stories do.
0: There's even neuroscience to, to support that where if I were to tell you, I mean, we're in this golden age of neuroscience, right? Mm -hmm. Where we we know what your brain looks like on leadership. We know what your brain looks like on storytelling Mm because we have CAT scans. Mm -hmm. So there's CAT scans of a storyteller telling a story and we see their brain is all lit up on the CAT scan. I mean, more of their brain is active. And then if we were to scan your brain, listening to the story, this is what's cool. Your brain is lit up in a nearly identical pattern to my brain. And it's a phenomenon called neural coupling. It's like our brains become aligned. It's, you know, it's this powerful connection where you and I are joined. That's so cool. And if the story is really compelling, this is where it gets really freaky. If we were to keep scanning our brains, your brain would eventually become a split second in the future ahead of my brain. So now your brain is, it's like you're predicting, you're, you're creating the story a split second before I catch up with you. You know what I'm going to say? You're in the future now, ahead of me. So this neural coupling uh, phenomenon is really powerful. And and you're right, data doesn't do that. Numbers can't create that connection. Uh, the thing I tell my my leaders at, at L'Oreal and, or different companies that I work with is these slides that you are agonizing over and you've spent five days making them perfect, <laughs> don't create that connection. No one's going to remember. All that information evaporates moments after people leave the room. But if you tell a story and you create that neural coupling connection, they, they might remember it forever so, you know, my message is I think that belongs in your leadership.
1: So maybe the solution is not to always remove 100% of those slides or the information that you have to deliver to someone, but it has to be wrapped in a story otherwise it's unforgettable. Yeah. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Uh,
0: I've actually been doing some some research and analysis of really effective communications. I've been looking at TED Talks. I'd love to check uh, I wanted I should do an analysis on one of your presentations. I,
1: That'd be I, fun.
0: Cuz I bet you're crushing it.
1: Um, <laughs> there's always room I, to grow. From what I've seen.
0: Uh but the 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 people who are really effective at this are very clear on what's the, what is the point that I'm trying to make right now, and then how can I connect that point to a story? I, mm-hmm. Embed the, you know, if I have this 20-minute presentation, mm-hmm. you know, the first five minutes strategically, here's what I want people to walk away with. Whatever that one thing is, you should put inside a story if you want them to remember it. And so I, I've actually mapped out presentations like these little heat maps where you can see narrative, didactic data, narrative, didactic, and data. And the people who are really good at this set up this tension where there's the story that connects the data and then another story that connects the data. So I've been helping leaders create those kind of presentations. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: If you saw The Last Jedi from the Star Wars saga that came out a while back, you know that story subverts some audience expectations about Luke Skywalker in a way that made some fans pretty uncomfortable, even angry. You might even say they felt threatened by seeing this icon that they had grown up with portrayed in a way that they didn't like that's the power of a good story. And to quote another beloved character with great power comes great responsibility. And sometimes that responsibility means making some tough decisions. I'm curious as someone who is working with so many massive companies and consulting groups that are working with large companies, how do you balance the tension? We we experience this a lot in the story community, I think, of just that tension between art and commerce. And I think I often say that storytelling is a superpower. It, it is. is the storytellers who are literally the architects of our culture, um, which means all the things that we look around in the world that are beautiful, those are usually created by artists and storytellers. Yeah. Unfortunately, when we look around at all the things that are broken. That was the result of a narrative that went bad, and yeah. somewhere a storyteller did that as well. And so knowing that we play such an integral role in the way that the world looks, when you're using storytelling – in the realm of business and selling products and services. How do you live in that tension of not just, you know, you're doing your work aware that you're in some ways hijacking the human brain and programming it to do the thing that you want it to do by inviting people into a story. Maybe just talk a little bit about that tension. Have you wrestled with any of that I, at all?
0: I do wrestle with the tension because I, I've worked with some companies um, who have been in headlines for – you know, the the way they're gobbling up resources or the ways that they're not being good neighbors or the ways that they're not uh, uh, creating sustainable communities. Or so,
1: tapping into the insecurities of a young female uh, who's scared about her body image,
0: you know? Yeah, and- I started in advertising. So my, at the beginning of my career, I, I worked with big ad agencies in Dallas and Atlanta, um, and I was a copywriter. So yeah, that's what I did. Mm-hmm. I didn't do any beauty advertising. Um, <laughs> I did get people to drink some more Coca Cola, though. Uh, if you tell a story, people will buy more Coca Cola. Of course, you know, yeah, um, they'll buy more, more Doritos if you tell. And good then you stories. read the
1: headline, and it's like we're all dying of diabetes and heart disease, and so it's like, how do you?
0: So yeah, this is the world that I that I live in. I read a really good book lately by a, a kind of a social entrepreneur n- named Adam Kahane. The book is called Love and Power he presents a really wonderful construct for how I think about my work, which really is about love and power. And power is just the ability of a, a system to get what it needs, to achieve its purpose. It's value neutral. Power isn't an evil thing, it's not a good thing. It's, we're all looking, you're looking for ways to to be who you are in the world. And the more you are, the, you need power to do that. Your, your car needs power to move. If your car doesn't have power, it sits there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then love is uh, the drive that we have to reconnect that which has been taken apart. You know, when we fall in love with our wives, we're, we're, we're bringing people together. It's, it's adjoining, right? And that's my work in organizations is love and power. A lot of organizations are good at talking about power, but they're not talking about love. Hmm. They want to increase their ability to achieve purpose but they're not thinking about how do I reintegrate the whole. Churches often are, and religious institutions are often the opposite. They'll talk about love, but they're they're not very uh, fluent in
1: power. Because it feels like a scary word maybe? Yeah, yeah. There's even a
0: quote from Martin Luther King that the, the challenge of our age is love without power and then power without love. Love without power is sentimental. Power without love is abusive.
1: So how would you reframe the word power for that person listening who feels uncomfortable with that idea? Do you
0: feel uncomfortable with it?
1: Power? Yeah. I think so. Just the way I was raised, you know? And you're taught that there are these three evil things in the world, money, sex, and power. Power is one of those big three, you know? Oh, yeah. So it's like how do you, yeah, just hearing the word, it's like, oh, he's, he's a person of power, you know? I think of Trump right away. I just go, "Oh, powerful. One of the most powerful people in the world, but yet is seemingly abusing that power. Or Harvey Weinstein, you know, obviously a very powerful person in Hollywood who abused his power. Yeah. So I think many times when we hear the word power, it's associated with these negative um, actions mm-hmm. that people who were in power took.
0: Well, power without love. Yeah. Yes. It's funny that you, you say that the word power makes you nervous. Because if I'm if I'm in an organization, it's the love part that makes them nervous. If mm-hmm. I start talking about love, like we're not paying you to come in here and talk about love, what? <laughs> that doesn't belong in He's our. He's gone
1: mind. soft. <laughs> we, yeah, man, we we've got work to do. We need to go make some we money. We get that with story sometimes. Like story, why stories? Ah, uh, that's way too soft. You know, yeah. that's for like all the artists who like want to do soul work and not the companies who take business seriously.
0: Yeah. So. I wanna bring those two together. I I want you to have more power. I want lots more people listening to your podcast. I want lots more people coming to your shows because I want them to hear what you have to say. I want you to increase your ability to be who you're supposed to be in this world and not be afraid of that. Hmm. And then when I'm with my leaders, I want them to increase in love. I want them to reconnect all the little pieces that have been disconnected. And that means externally in the world, recognizing that as long as the communities around us aren't okay then we're not okay either it also means reconnecting yourself finding more of your voice as a leader and bringing that into your leader leadership so there's an internal reconnection that's happening there's an external reconnection that's happening as we're as leaders we already have resources and power how can we use that to create wholeness so i want to have both of those conversations
1: David thinks the word power needs a new reputation, one separated from the idea of forcing people to do what you want. He says power is really just about the ability to achieve your purpose. That's it. And since everyone has a purpose, everyone should have power. That's a big part of his mission in all of this. And the way he helps people find their power is to, surprise, surprise, teach them how to tell their stories.
0: One exercise that I do with my groups a lot is, you know, we, we talk about what are the different stories that, that you should be telling. There's one really powerful story that kind of goes to the heart of your, your identity as a leader, and it's, it, I call it the why I'm here story. And that's a good place to start is to identify not one why I'm here story, you have lots and lots of them, but to find one. Why are you here? And when I say here, I mean in, in this role, in this place in the world. And so to find that story, first, get a sense of what is this thing that I'm here in the world to do? You know, I'm, I'm here to bring uh, health care to poor communities. I'm here to empower women's voices. I'm here to make money. I'm here to um, improve supply chain management. I mean, it's, it's, it's the thing that drives you, right? And then go back in time and find, tell me a story about that. Why do you care about that thing? Somewhere along the way, something happened to you that put you on the path of caring about this thing. Um, Maybe it was something painful that happened when you were a kid, or maybe it was a leader uh, or an educator who who saw something in, in you and inspired you. So find that story, and then go tell someone that story. It's a really powerful thing to say, there's something I'm here to do, and let me tell you why. Have you seen the Simon Sinek video where he says, start with why? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people are good at talking about what I'm here to do. Some people are okay at talking about how. Very few start with why. And Simon Sinek says it should be the other way around. Start with why. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a why story. Something happened to me, and that's why I care about the thing that I care about. Tell people what that thing is. Tell them the why I'm here story. So there's something practical for you. I see you thinking, you're probably trying to right now identifying, oh, what is the thing that happened to me? No, I, I think
1: I'm pretty aware of those things, but I think a perfect way to finish would be to spin that question back to you and ask you why you care about this. Tell us that story. All right. <laughs> I've actually got a lot.
0: All right, I'll tell you this one. <laughs> this is one I don't tell very much. Okay. I grew up in a, a very um, fundamentalist religious tradition that I saw hurting people and it was a tough system to be in if you were gay or if you were divorced or if you were if you were a woman with any kind of gift for leadership it was a tough system and it was confusing to me as a kid because this was my most important world this was my community these were the people that I loved and as a kid, of course, you don't have language for reconciling all this. Why is it that I love these people who are so important to me and I keep seeing people get hurt? I mean, you know, suicides and you know, because people weren't safe in the in the system. And so I went through a period where I was when I was younger, where I was mad about that. And then I realized that a lot of the work that I'm doing in organizations was trying to reconcile that. What happens when people come together, people who are beautifully individually, come together and something changes? What is that thing? What's that invisible thing that's making dysfunctional things happen? And so a lot of my career, I started out in organizational processes and systems. Well, are people in systems incentivized to do bad things? And what if we tweak the incentives Okay, well, that's one way of looking at it. What are some processes that affect behavior? From there, um, I went into culture work. What are the collectively held beliefs that we have? And ultimately, where I landed was on this conversation that we're having now. What is the story that we're telling ourselves about ourselves? And what if we told a new story that could get us some new results? And so it it took me a few years to realize – that a lot of my career is trying to address this confusion and this this distress and this hurt that I felt when I was really young. And so actually it allows me now to look back at that experience with some gratitude, say thank you for putting me on this path of, of trying to understand my own story and helping other people understand their stories as well and ultimately step into a much better story together. That's why I'm here.
1: Gratitude. I'm learning more and more how important it is that we look back on our experiences with gratitude and remember without conflict, there is no story. I hope that you can remember this as you work to tell your own story because you have a story and your story matters. If you're looking for a way to continue learning from David, we recently did a live webinar with him where we walked through multiple story frameworks. You can access that recording when you become a premium member on storycraft.co. That's storycraft with a c.co. With this membership, you'll also gain access to many of our past story conference presentations and many other incredible resources. It's a great place to meet other storytellers, fellow creatives, I promise it's a worthwhile investment into your life and your work. I hope to see you there soon. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Story Podcast.